How many of you can, can remember a time where you just had an encounter with someone that just always stuck in your mind? You just remember a time where you just met someone where it just, it stuck in your mind. I, I was thinking about this and I remember about, it was 1989, somewhere in the end of the eighties. And, um, it was, uh, I, I, it was either 1999, I can't remember if I was married to Kathleen or we're engaged, but we were down by the lake getting some custard. Uh, and we were with my brother-in-law and, and, and Kathleen's sister, my sister-in-law, and we're just down the lake, and it was a hot summer day, and there's a lot of people getting ice cream. I can't remember it, Vic and Irv's or whatever. I can't remember where we were, but we're standing in line and uh, getting custard, and we get up to the line, and there was someone behind us, and we all ordered, and the person behind us said, we want to uh, pay, I want to pay for your ice cream. Just a, a single man paying for your ice cream. So I said, wait a minute, let me change my order. I want to get a Sunday. No. Uh, and it was just one of those encounters where you, you looked around and you're like, oh, okay. Um, and he goes, I just, just wanted to bless you guys. And, and he goes, you just look like a bunch of nice couples. And I'm like, you don't know these sisters. You don't know my, you don't, you don't know them. And it was just nice. And I, I never forgot. I don't know if he was a Christian. I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was just this encounter that I had that just, ne- I, I never forgot about it. And what I want to do over the next several weeks leading up to Easter is talk about three encounters that Jesus had with people. And what's interesting about the encounters that Jesus had with people, it reveals something about their hearts. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it will reveal something about your life and your heart. And what I want to do today is I want to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a very high-profile person and, and with high-profile people, very religious people. And the encounter that Jesus had with this high-profile person and with this group of religious people truly revealed their heart. And it's interesting for us because we can look at stories in the Bible and we can say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like, I'm not like those people. But what's interesting about this first encounter is It truly reveals our hearts and where we are before we actually come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so what I want to do is today, I kind of want to dig into our hearts a little bit and see what's going on in there and and how we might be a little bit insensitive or sometimes out of tune with Christ and what he's trying to speak to our heart. Because you cannot have an encounter with Jesus without it affecting your life. You can't have an encounter with the truth of God and the Son of God without it doing something in your life. Whether you reject it or you, re- or you receive it, all of us have this way of saying, wait a minute, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I really believe in Jesus or all this truth stuff, or it, it, it may be something where the Holy Spirit just convicts your heart and you're like, man, he is the Son of God. And, and I need to bow to this person. And I need to receive him as my Lord and Savior. And so I want to look at these encounters. And the first encounter I want to look at is with the, is the person of Pilate. And I want, to, I want to talk about this in a little bit greater detail. And, and next week we're going to, we're going to look at the, the thief on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday we're going to look at, at Thomas, one of the disciples, Thomas, and his encounter that he had with Jesus uh, post-resurrection. So if you've got your Bibles, you can, or you can look up at the screen. I want to look at the story here that Jesus encounter had with Pilate in John 18. And I want to look at this very interesting conversation that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate and what it revealed about uh, his heart in this uh, Roman 
leader. And so um, if you've got your Bibles, you're looking at the screen. We're going to look at uh, John 18, starting with verse um, 28. And let's look at Jesus before Pilate. And, and I'll, I'll give you a little, after we read the verse here, uh, I'll give you some uh, I'll give you some context to what's going on. So we're going to read 28 through 40. And it says, uh, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace to the Roman governor. And by now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a, if he were not a criminal to play, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own laws. Pilate wanted nothing to do with this. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. And this happened so that the words of Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. So we know that this wasn't in the hands of man. This was completely the will of God that Jesus would go to the cross. But it's revealing the heart of men here. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside of the palace, summoned Uh, summon Jesus and ask him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew, Pilate uh, Pilate replied. Is it your people that your chief priests who handed you over to me? What is it that you've done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would uh, find a way to present prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Oh, then, then you are a king, then said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, it is for this reason I was born, and for this I came to the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate asked this incredible question. He's standing before the Son of God, and he says, what is truth. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for the charge against him, but it is your custom for me to, to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. So we see this great exchange that has happened. So what's going on here? What, what, what's the background? What's the context? Or who was who Pilate? Well, Pilate at the time was a Roman governor in Judea from around AD 26 to around AD 36. And he was appointed to that position by the Roman emperor Tiberius. And he, here's what's interesting about this. The, the death penalty was completely under Roman control. And for them to maintain this complete power, they had to write to intervene in any criminal case. And that is why Jesus comes before Pilate. They didn't have the right to execute him, so they had to get this approval through Roman authority. And so you have Caiaphas. Caiaphas was this high priest, and before any charges could be brought before the Roman government, it had to be confirmed by the official high priest who was Caiaphas. So you have, you have hundreds of thousands of Jews who are in Jerusalem during the Passover, and, and Pilate is there to keep things under control. He doesn't want a rebellion to break out against Rome, so he's there to keep things under control. And this is where all the events of Jesus is happening, all before uh, his death was to come about. And so all these charges that are brought up against Jesus were false, and the only way they could kill Jesus was appealing to 
the Roman governor Pilate. And obviously Jesus didn't break any Roman law, um, and he was being basically convicted of, of Jewish law. And so basically what they, what they charged Jesus with, the only thing they could find is charging with blasphemy, claiming to be God. So if anyone tells you there's no place in the Bible where Jesus actually claims to be God, here's the spot right here, because he would have never been killed if he didn't claim to be God. He was, that's why they brought him to Pilate, because he was claiming to be God, and obviously they believed that was blasphemy. Anyone who claimed to be God would be blasphemy and could, and could be executed. So the Jews could condemn a man to die, but they couldn't carry it out. So they had to appeal to Rome for this, and this is where uh, all, all, all the, you know, him going to Pilate, then back to Caiaphas, and here's where this whole story comes about. And so Pilate, wanting to appease the Jews, resorts to a custom that most likely he started to keep the Jews happy. So he wants to keep everything copacetic, he wants to keep everything calm, and so he says, well, what do you want me to do? I can, I can release someone else. And so Rome could release one man at Passover, and at that you see the great exchange for Barabbas for Jesus. And so Barabbas is released, and Jesus is beaten and then sentenced to be crucified. One who was innocent, and one who committed multiple crimes, and most likely including murder. And if you think about this, it cries out for, for justice, you know, it doesn't make sense. It, it's unfair. But I want you to realize this was all part of God's plan. The penalty of sin had to be dealt with. What Matthew does is Matthew's gospel tells us that Pilate actually washes his hands of this trial. And he says to them, he says to them, may his blood be on you. And here's the hardness of the hearts of the people who were listening And they cried out, the people cried out and said this, may his blood be on us and our children. How prophetic would their words be? How true would this be that it was our sin that caused Jesus to go to the cross? It was our, it was, it was our separation from God himself that caused Jesus to go to the cross. So, Pilate's meeting with Jesus exposed the heart of man and the indifference that we can have towards God. And so what I want to talk about is an indifferent heart. What does it mean to to be hardened towards God and his voice? What does it mean to be indifferent? Well, basically, it's just a lack of of concern or interest. I don't really care. It's it's unimportant. It's, It's insignificant. And the leaders of Israel witnessed for themselves the very person of Jesus, how he lived, how people were healed, how miracles were performed, what Jesus did for them, yet still they would not believe that he was the long-awaited Messiah. Their hearts were hardened towards the word of the Lord. And so the leaders in Jerusalem didn't even care about a fair trial for Jesus. They just wanted to be done with Jesus. They didn't care about knowing the truth, they just wanted Jesus disposed of. And this shows the hardness of man's heart and what sin does to us and how we rebel against the very voice of God. And as long as Jesus didn't impede on Pilate, he didn't really care what they did with him as long as it pleased everybody. And so what I want us to dig into this morning is this, is that Jesus 
exposed the heart of indifference, not only in Pilate, but the religious leaders of Israel. And what I want to talk about today is an indignant heart, a heart that's indifferent to God, a heart that's hard towards God. And, 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 and what is what happens when when we stop listening? Because it's not only some people can say, well, it's you know, I can understand for people that don't follow Christ, how their hearts are hardened. But how many of us know that our hearts can be hardened to the voice of God many times? That if we're not careful, we can stop listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our heart and it can lead us down a very dangerous road. Listen, I've sat with people across my desk who began to wander away from the truth and wander away from the truth of of, of the scriptures. And I will look them in the eye and I will say, do you know what the word of God says? And they said, yes, I know what it says, but their hearts are so hardened, they refuse to bend their heart in repentance to the word of truth because the hearts have become hardened to the word of God. The hearts have become hardened to God's voice. So before we just put Pilate and the religious leaders over in one camp and say, I'm not like them, we are more like them than we, we dare to believe sometimes. And so God wants us to have this sensitive heart towards him. And, and, and so we have to look at where does it start? Because it's interesting. No one starts off their life just saying, I just want to be the worst sinner that I can be. Right? No one starts off their life by saying, I just, want, I just want to drink and do all this stuff and get drunk and just be a horrible person. No one starts that way. Isn't it just a way of thinking that we slowly veer off on that path? We, we start to believe a lie, which is real small at times. And then we begin to focus on that lie and we begin to live out that lie in our life till we find ourselves in this type of, of a lifestyle. It's not something that just happens overnight. It's, it's a constant guarding of our hearts. I, I've, I always, when I hear someone that has fallen, someone that has fallen from grace, somebody that has made unwise decisions, I, I always like to know that the repentance is good. And I, you like, we like to hear that, don't we? I made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. But this is what I like to hear. I like to hear what choice did, did you make that caused you to go that way? And it's, it's amazing the common thread that you see in people's lives when finally they, they fall and there's this big falling from grace. You hear things like this. I believe my own lies. You hear things like, I thought I was above all of this. You hear things like my pride got in the way. Those are the things I like to hear because those are the things that I struggle with. Those are the things that I don't want to grip my heart. You hear things like I didn't think I needed to go through all the right channels. Those are the things that it's small, little insignificant things that begin to add up to big things in our lives that cause us to fall. How many know you just don't wake up and you just fall, right? Come on. Are you with me this morning, church? Right? It's not. It's, you just don't wake up and say, well, I just want to cheat on my wife today. I just want to cheat on my husband. Right? It's those small things where all of a sudden you start talking to somebody in the office. You start to have commonalities. Hey, let's grab lunch together. Innocent enough, right? Let's grab some coffee, right? Innocent enough. And all of a sudden your heart begins to change, right? It's, it's these small little things in our life. And so these are the things that we need to look at in our lives. And so what are the consequences of an indifferent heart? So this, I want to look at a couple things this morning of looking at the consequences of an, of an, of an indifferent heart. The first thing I want you to see this morning is this. And in, indifference is seen in the lack of integrity. 
Indifference is seen in the lack of integrity. For the, for the Jewish leaders, there was a lack of integrity for knowing the truth. For Pilate, there was a lack of integrity for wanting to know the truth. He cared more about himself. Billy Graham sa- says this. He says, integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. We must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. When, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. How many say Billy Graham's a pretty wise person, right? Four ingredients that I see for integrity. And here are the things that I want you to look at. Four ingredients for integrity. Integrity is what we believe. This, this is our this is our convictions. This is what we believe. So integrity is seen in what we believe by our convictions. Integrity is what we say we believe. It's verbalizing our beliefs. Integrity then is what we actually do. We actually begin to live them out in our lives. And then integrity is what we should do. Ethical principles by which we live our lives. And let me just say this about our integrity is that if you don't know who you are, you will always make the wrong decisions for your life. If you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't set a moral compass for your life, you will make bad decisions. How many know that a decision not to sin or go wayward is made way before that actual act to fall? It's made way before that. And so if we set up safeguards in our lives, and there are things as a pastor that I need to set up in our lives. I know Billy Graham never traveled alone. He always had somebody with him. Because people are out to, to always want to take him down a notch. So if he traveled or if in a hotel, always had his wife or, or had a traveling companion, a, a, another man with him. He always had somebody with him to guard his integrity Listen, it takes a lifetime to build our character. It takes a moment to destroy it. It takes a moment to destroy it. So there are things that I set up in my life so that I know, my, you know, with my wife, we have to build trust with, within each other. She knows where I'm at. We call each other during the day. There's just little things. There's not this, we can never put this doubt. Let, let me just talk to you that are married. You should never have a doubt. Your spouse should never have a doubt in their mind where you're at. You should never come home and say, it's none of your business. I will slap you if you do that, okay? So don't do that. Don't, because you know what that does? That puts seeds of doubt in your partner's mind, in your spouse's mind. They don't know what you're up to. I, I don't want you to see um, my, my credit card accounts. I don't want you to look at my phone. What? The minute I hear that, alarms go off. Lack of integrity. If my life is not an open book, there's something wrong. There's something that I'm hiding. There's some lie that I'm, I'm believing about myself. And listen, we're all prone to that if we're not careful. We have to be open. We have to be willing to allow our lives uh, to, to be exposed in that way. If, if, if we are indifferent to our behavior and to the consequences it brings, it will reap heartache in your life. I love what um, Tim Tebow said here about integrity. And, and, and Tim Tebow's life is on a pedestal. Everyone's looking to knock Tim Tebow down uh, a, a notch and just, you know, just, just 
living out his testimony as he was a football player for Florida. He was living out his testimony. He was a guy that, you know, always had the scripture on his face and everybody just wanted to knock him down. He had a great, his testimony is wonderful on how his just parents raised him. But he said this, I love this, this quote from Tim Tebow. He says, my integrity means more to me than any fame or money. When I say something, I want people to take it to the bank that I mean it and I believe in it. That I mean it and I believe in it. There was a story that I read uh, about a, uh, a nuclear sub. Uh, and this nuclear sub had an issue with its engine. And what they discovered is they, they heard the problem within the propulsion system. But they didn't know what it was, but they kept running the engine for two days. And what, what eventually happened is when they, when they eventually found out what happened, there was a small, little, teeny bolt that came loose that got stuck in the propulsion engine. It caused $2.2 million of damage to the sub. And when I was reading this article, it's interesting because the vice admiral, as he was looking through the paperwork and obviously top brass weren't happy about the $2.2 million in damage. This is what he said. He said, it was a breakdown in procedural integrity. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do when something like that happened. And I began to think about that article. And it's the same thing with integrity. Small areas of our lives that we ignore can become the greatest damage in our lives. It's the small little bolts in our life that we say, eh. Or we justify something by saying, well, I deserve this. I deserve this. And it's those small little areas that create the biggest damage in our lives. It takes, listen, it takes a lifetime to build your character, a moment of weakness to destroy it. Pilate was more concerned with his popularity than he was with his integrity. The religious leaders were more concerned with getting their way than knowing what the truth is and in their integrity. And it revealed the heart of man. So a breakdown in an indifferent heart is, 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 is a lack of in integrity. And we need to do all we can to live lives of integrity before the Lord, especially living out in the world that we live in. The second thing I want you to is an indifferent heart is seen in the lack of wisdom. And here you have... You know, here you have someone that's just not using wisdom in their life. How many ever just had this told you? I told you so. I told you so. You weren't supposed to do that. And I, you know, growing up as a kid, I had great parents. My parents are great. And um, my, my grandparents had, had some land down in the Bristol Hills. and They had a farm pond. And we would go there in the winter and skate on this, on this farm pond. And my dad would always tell me, Barden, don't go over to the edge of the pond where the spill-off goes because that is where the ice is the thinnest. Now, you're saying this to a seven, eight-year-old boy. What's the first thing a seven or eight-year-old boy is going to do? I went right to that spot. I want to know well, what's over there. Why is it so cool? You know, just, just, and what happened? I fell through the ice. And luckily, it wasn't very deep. It was only up to here. And I said, Dad, and he comes running over. He was at the cabin. And then the next year comes. And we're there, and we're ice skating on the thick part of the ice. And he goes, Bard, remember what I told you last year? Remember what happened last year? Don't go over to that side of the pond. It's a spill off, ice is thin, you'll fall through again. So what does an eight or nine-year-old kid think? I, I won't get real close. 
I'll see how far, this was what I was thinking. I'll see how far I can get to the edge. So I'm going like this. And I don't know where my dad was at the time. And I get, and all of a sudden you hear this crack, boom, went through the ice again, up to here in muck. And, my, and I'm yelling, dad, up. And my dad comes and, and he goes, what did I tell you? Didn't I tell? I'm like, I know, I know. I don't know why. I just, it just my curiosity gets the best of me. So then the next year comes. No, I'm just teasing. I, I learned after two years not to do it. Just lack of wisdom. And so what, what we hear, what we see here is, is we, we see this issue of just not using wisdom or not understanding what true wisdom is. Pilate is actually told by his wife, not to have anything to do with Jesus. In fact, in fact, this is what she says. It's recorded for us in Scripture in Matthew 27. It says, Beside, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, and she says this, Have nothing to do with this righteous man. For I've suffered much because of him in a dream. And now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. So here even Pilate's wife is saying, man, don't, listen, don't have anything to do with this man. And she called him a righteous man because I had these horrible dreams about him. She had these dreams that he was righteous. But the crowd had a bigger pull on Pilate's life. Popularity was too big for Pilate. You see, here's the thing. The most difficult decisions in life are not necessarily hard. When I hear somebody say to me, if I'm counseling with somebody and we're having a dialogue and somebody says, well, well Pastor Barton, this is a really hard decision for me. I said, no, it's not. In fact, it's a real easy decision. What is the right decision to make? Well, I know what the right decision is, but what are people, wait a minute, what are people going to say? But you don't understand What's the right to, that's the easy decision. What's, what's the hard part about it? The hard part about it is obeying Christ. That's the hard part. The hard part is, am I going to obey Christ in the decisions that I make? Am I trying to please people and my popularity and the way I look? Or am I actually trying to please the Lord himself? That's really an easy decision. Doing the right thing is the easy decision. The hard thing is, am I going to obey the Lord in my, uh, in my understanding of this or, and go against popular opinion? Be careful with your impulses. If you are not careful, it will always lead to a bad decision. Be careful with your emotions. If you are not consistently checking your emotions, you will always regret the outcome. Now, let, let me just give you some practical things when you're indignant, when you are irritated, when you are mad, when you see things that you don't like, when you hear things that you don't like. If you're reading a Facebook comment and it gets you all steamed up. Let me, te- let me just give you a couple things here. Let me just give you a couple things here and using wisdom. Okay, and using wisdom because how many know everybody has a platform now? everybody's got one of these now. We carry them around with us everywhere we go. We all got a pulpit now, don't we? We all got a soapbox that we can stand on and just shout to the world, this is my opinion. Guess what? Nobody cares. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So here's my opinion. I got my pulpit, right? I can bring it anywhere I want and I can shout it from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else. Everybody's got 
an opinion now that they can shout out. Now, here's the thing. And then everybody can react. Everybody can react to everybody else's um, opinion. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to have. Here's the thing I want you to do. When you are in doubt and you're not sure about how to react to something, get godly wisdom and pray about your attitude. Let the word of God be your foundation. It's not wrong to disagree with someone, but don't sacrifice your character while you're doing it. Don't sacrifice the relationship while you're doing it. And I know we all have strong opinions about things, and I, I know it's so, you know, we all, we all have that. We all have an opinion. We all have a nose. We all have opinions, right? We all have our things. But, but use wisdom and understanding on how we speak and what we say to one another. Because the last thing we want is to burn bridges in our relationship when we're trying to reach each other. Amen? So use wisdom in those things. And this is what I would say. I always have the 24-hour rule. This is something practical. A little side note here. If I'm writing back an email, if there's a comment or a criticism or whatever, here's what I would do. Pray about it and at least wait 24 hours and then let someone else read it. Because you may not see things. We're all blinded to ourselves, right? And you may not see something. But in the moment, you're just like, oh, i got to shoot this thing back. Let me get on here right now. Should I send it? Should I wait? And then you send You're like, oh, why did I do that? I can't get it back. I can't get it back, right? Wait 24 hours. Let someone else read it. Use wisdom. Get godly wisdom in your life. If, if there's a difficult decision that you have to make and you're not sure about it, get godly wisdom in how you do those things. I can't, be tell, I can't begin to tell you how many relationships I see that are destroyed over petty things. Indifference refuses to listen to wisdom. Proverbs, Proverbs 1 7 says, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and destruction and, and, and instruction. And then the third thing I want you to see here about an indifferent heart is indifference is seen in not seeking the truth. And this is the thing that is so disheartening to me about this, um, about this conversation that Jesus has with Pilate. And this is the thing that really is disheartening to me. And, and John 18, 37 and 38, Pilate asks him, he says, so you're, so you're a king. And then Jesus responds, you say, that I'm a king. Actually, I, I, I was born to come into this world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize what I say is truth. And so Pilate asked him, what is truth? What is truth? And then he goes out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime. Pilate didn't stay long enough to actually listen to Jesus and want to know what the truth is actually was this conversation is very ironic to me Pilate is the one who should be trying to find out the truth in this matter he is the one that's in charge he's the one that should be determining the truth but what does he do he just kicks the can down the street and he washes his hands of it he is indifferent to knowing the truth and when the one who is truth is standing there right before him he doesn't bother to proceed and ask any more questions so Pilate, even asking the question, what is truth? But he is indifferent to stay there and actually know what the answer is. 
And so my question to you as we just close and we just end and we just close in prayer today is, my question to you is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? Because here, here's my question to anyone, anyone that is, is, is following Jesus or anyone that is on the fence about following Jesus. The issue is this. So many people that, that struggle with Christianity want to go resort to, well, look at the way Christians are and they're hypocrites and blah, 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 blah. But the issue is not that. That's wrong and that, that we shouldn't be that way and we should do our best to be followers of Christ and live the example before the world of who Jesus is in our lives and our hearts. But the question is, does it change who Jesus is? That's really the question. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. This is what Jesus said. This isn't what I say. This isn't what some church made up. This isn't what man made up. This is what Jesus said. When it comes down to that, what are you going to do with Jesus? You can make all the excuses in the world, but at the end of the day, we're confronted with Jesus and what he said about himself. He either is or isn't the son of God. He doesn't give us some in-between thought like C.S. Lewis said. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't give us some, he doesn't say, well, you can believe in me as just being a good man or being a good teacher. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So either he's the biggest liar ever in history or he's the biggest whack job that we've ever seen in the history of man. There's no in-between. He either is or isn't. And that's what we're confronted with when we're confronted with the truth. The truth of the matter is, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. This is what Jesus says about himself. And so the takeaway that I want you to see today is, have you become indifferent to the voice of Christ? I know for some of us here, Maybe, maybe you were brought up in church and you're like, man, I was brought up in church. My parents made me go to church and you know, the church thing just doesn't work for me and you just become indifferent to the voice of Christ. Maybe some of you here today and you've just been following the Lord for a long time. You just, you're in a rut and you know, you're just like, ah, you know, I, I, check, I check the box all the time with my walk. I do my Bible study. So I come to church. I do all those things, but I don't know if I'm really listening to the voice of the Lord. I don't know if I'm really obedient to the Lord. And and, and, and maybe the Lord's asking you to do something. Maybe, maybe you're in a relationship that's not honoring to God. And the voice of Christ is telling you, this isn't what I have for you. I remember when I was a, a teenager, and I was only serving Christ for about a year. And, and I had this relationship with this girl, a very nice girl in, in our school, but she wasn't a follower of Christ. I knew it was wrong, but I just kind of, I always, I always remembered the way my parents handled it. They handled it very well. My dad came up to me with the Bible and he opened it up and he just smacked me over the head with the Bible. No, I'm just teasing. He didn't do that. Um, I, I remember they, you know, and the, you know, I had rules and, and, you know, guardrails around my life. My parents were, were good disciplinarians. They, they did a good job, but they did, they didn't come against, they didn't say, you know, Barden, this is wrong and you shouldn't be doing it, blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember one day my dad picked me up from her house. He was come back from work. He picked me up, picked me up from her house and her parents had me over. And um, I remember sitting in the car with my dad. And I said, Dad, I, I kind of feel convicted. I, don't, I know 
She's a very nice girl and her parents are real nice, but I know this isn't what, I just knew the Lord was speaking in my heart. And I felt this conviction. And my dad said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Bard, my prayer for you is that you would listen to the voice of Christ, that you would hear him and that you would obey him. Now, I was 17 at the time, or I can't remember, 17, 16, 18, I can't remember how old I was, but I was that range. But he, he goes, and I am praying for you you would hear his voice. That's what I needed to hear. Not a bunch of Bible verses. And I'm sure my dad could have thrown a lot of her. Don't be unequally yoked. A ton of Bible verses he could have thrown at me. He said, Barden, I want you to hear the voice of Christ speaking to you and the decisions that you make in your life. Because eventually I would go away to college the next year, 1,200 miles away from home, and my parents wouldn't be there to make my decisions for me. I had to listen to the Lord to obey his voice in my life. See, maybe the Lord is asking you to do something. Maybe it's a relationship that's not honoring God. Maybe, maybe you're taking shortcuts in your business. Maybe you're harboring bitterness towards someone. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe God has been speaking to you about something in your heart and your life that you know is just not in the up and up. You're not using wisdom. You've been indifferent to the voice of God. You've been kind of kicking, kicking the can down the road and you've just been justifying in your life. But God has been speaking to you. It's the love of God that leads us to repentance. And for those of you that have been different to the voice of God, he's calling you to say, submit your life to me. Let me change your life. Let me forgive you of your sins. Submit to my truth through your faith in me, and I will change your life. For some of you that have been following the Lord and God is speaking to your heart today, and maybe your heart's been indifferent. Maybe it's cold. Maybe you've been justified. Maybe you've even been, even been talking to your spouse, and they've been telling you the same thing, but you've been kind of plugging your ears a little bit, but you know God's been speaking to your heart. Here's what I would say to you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. God loves you, and he's drawing you to his side so that God can bring healing, so that you don't go off a cliff in your life. That's how much he cares for us. And so my prayer for you is that you would not be indifferent to the voice of God. And here's here's how we listen to the voice of God. I read this devotion the other day from John Piper. It was beautiful. And the the devotion was this, place yourself in the place of God's grace where he can speak to you. And the way you do that is when you read God's word and you pray, you're placing yourself in that path where God's grace and voice can actually speak to your heart. When you're in communion with your spouse, you're going to hear their needs and you're going to care for each other. If you're not in communion, you're going to be deaf to their needs. When we're in communion with God, our deaf ears are open to what the Lord wants to speak to us because he desires more than anything else to have a relationship with you. So when you're in his word and you're praying, you place yourself in the path of God's grace for his grace to be poured out into your life, into your heart, so that he can speak to the things in our lives that need to change. And how many know that we need change, right? We need change because our hearts can be so encrusted and we can become deaf to the voice of God. So I just want to pray for you today. Would you bow your hearts with me today and just 
maybe you're here today and, and God's speaking to your heart in that way and, and, and just be open to hear his voice today. So Lord Jesus, we just bow our hearts before you today. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it's your love that leads us to repentance. Lord, this encounter that Jesus had with the religious leaders and pilots just revealed the indifference of man's heart to you. And God, we don't want to be indifferent to you. Lord, we want our hearts to be open to you when you're speaking to us. Because you love us so much, you discipline us as a, as a loving father would discipline us. So Lord, just speak to our hearts in areas of our lives that, that, that maybe we have become indifferent. Maybe there are some here today that just have been indifferent to you, Jesus, and have not bowed their life to you. I pray that they would take that step of faith and, and give their life to you, God. That they can find forgiveness and healing from their sins, Lord. And that you, you would renew them. That you would make them a new creation. And Lord, for those of us that have just become indignant to maybe some things in our lives that you've been speaking to us, God, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to each and every individual heart here today. So I thank you for your endless pursuit of us. I thank you that you don't give up on us. And I thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Thank you for the grace that you give us, God. Help us to renew that relationship with you again, God so that we can be sensitive to you, God. So continue to speak to our hearts. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And as we just go in your presence now, God, I just pray that we would heed your voice in our lives. So we thank you and we love you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name.